Part one. Good morning, good morning. I am uh, happy to see all of you guys here this morning. Those of you joining us uh, in the point or here in the center, I am Drew Hildenbrand. I serve here at Connection Point in the care ministry. Before we get going this morning, into this morning's message and the conversation, I just, I need to address an elephant in the room. Maybe I'm the only one that sees it, but did you guys notice the back half of this last week? Those enormous yellow school machines flying through our community, like thousands of them. What happened to our summer? That was so fast. I'm pretty sure a few weeks ago I woke up one morning and my kids were sleeping in, and that was my indicator that summer had begun. And then I'm pretty sure a couple days later I woke up and it was the 4th of July, and a couple days later I woke up and there were school buses taking my kids away. It has been really quick. Now, I do need to let you know, like in my home, uh, going back to school feels different than maybe for some homes. I have five children. Let that hang in the room for a moment. I have five, ch- five children have my wife and I, let's be honest. Anyone who has any, yeah, you know exactly what that means. So three of those kids go to school. I've got a 17-year-old, 14-year-old, and a 6-year-old going into first grade. The two younger ones are at home with us still. Thank you, God. And so when we do back to school, it has a unique feel in our house. And what I mean is that there's a room in the front of our house where last week, Look, folks, back to school has a level of chaos I've just never understood before. There were binders, backpacks, pencils, pencil boxes, markers, erasers, and probably things that shouldn't go to school, but they were there in the room because everything else was in the room for school. It was incredibly intense. But my wife was sitting at the kitchen table, and this is what was marvelous. She's really quite impressive to me. So my wife is sitting at the kitchen table, and we all know our spouses have certain gifts, certain powers. But I'm pretty sure I witnessed a supernatural moment that is not normal in my kitchen. My wife is at at the table, and she's got the laptop up, right? So typing away, and all of a sudden, the doorbell rings. She's staying down at it. The doorbell rings. Someone answers the door, and in comes a box. It's school supplies. Hey, honey, what are you doing? I'm ordering school supplies. Okay. She's working at it another minute. Doorbell rings. Yes, twice. Look up. Yep, more school supplies. What is she able to do? <laughs> I mean, toilet seat for me is a win. But for her, because you know technology can do really cool things. So is it possible that my wife is sitting at the kitchen table and there's a van in my driveway or something that she orchestrated to where she just clicks, send, and the guy in the van brings the stuff to the door? I mean, it was fast and incredible. But as fast and incredible as that was, my experiences growing up doing the back-to-school stuff were much, much different. I'm from a a town, um, so many of you uh, might be familiar with Holiday World and Splash and Safari, uh, Santa Claus, Indiana. I'm from about five minutes north of there in a town called Mariah Hill. The population there, counting my family, is my family. (laughs) About six, ten if there's traffic that day. And so... It's a pretty small town. There's no stoplights or anything incredible like that. We just have stop signs and people with dented cars. But uh, everything is calm down there. And so I got um, to be honest, going back to school was very, very different for me. We had one night, okay, one night before school started, we'd, everybody would pack in the car and we would drive about 30 minutes to Jasper, Indiana, which was a little north, and we went to Jasper to Kmart and Walmart and Big Lots and Goodies and, and maybe McDonald's if I didn't talk too much. 
you're not in for that much luck. But anyway, so in that moment, we did all the back-to-school shopping. It didn't matter if the jeans fit because it's a 30-minute drive. We're not coming back. Try them on now, whatever, and that's it. That's what you're wearing. And so uh, back-to-school for me felt starkly different than what I'm witnessing in my home now compared to back home then. But there's some things that are similar about home down there and home here. I grew up in the middle of a 100-acre farm down there. It was peaceful. It was quiet. And in that middle of that 100-acre farm is a house. And when I was a little bit older and still living at home, we had to move out of that house for a year. There was some coal mine going through our family property, and so they were kind of going to tear stuff up, and it wasn't safe for us to live in the house. So we moved a little further away. We could still see the house, but we lived in a... And you know what was interesting is that I still called that new place we lived in what? Home. Why is that? Why is it that I could, because it wasn't home where I grew up in that house that's still there that my parents still live in today, isn't that home? But for a year I could call this other place that looked nothing like the first place home? Is it possible that our understanding of home has nothing to do with the box that we're in? Or the building we spend time in together, but instead perhaps something much deeper? And over the next few weeks, this Welcome Home series, we're going to look deeply and intently at those values. What is home? What is that about? And what dictates our days so strongly to convince us that we're safe, that we are, in fact, at home? One of the realities that will come to light here in the next few minutes is that a home is a home, not because of what it looks like, but because of how it feels. And what makes us feel at home is what we're going to spend the next couple of weeks unpacking together and working through. Because whether you know it or not, you are chasing home every single day. So do you want to hear more about those kinds of values and those kinds of principles? Do you want to hear more about that than the kinds of things you hear about on the news and the things going on in the world around us? Say yes loud. Do you want to hear the kinds of things that stir your heart and stir your affections toward life change and really making everything around you literally better, including the relationships? then let's fight together for all of the great and wonderful things we're going to discover over these coming weeks. Amen? So let's get to work. Every single week this series, we are going to dive deep into some of these values, mine them up to the top, and lay them across your life as best we can so you can leave this place growing in change, growing in hope, always at home, no matter where you are. Whether you're new to the church idea, whether Jesus is foreign, whether your neighbors invited you here this week and you're still questioning whether or not you want to be here or you've been here for decades, this series will be a value in all of the things that matter to your heart. And hopefully you'll discover what home really feels like better than you've ever known it before. See, every single one of us grew up in a home environment of some kind. Some of you, that's not a pleasant memory. For some of you, you grew up and it was a single home, but it was wonderful. Or it was a two-parent home where you spent time divided between two different locations, three different locations. Or you moved around a lot and you had many, many, many homes. It has a variety of details for each one of us. But there are very few values that are the same for all of us. And those values, when we see them, we do not want them to leave. Those values are things like belonging, a real sense of belonging, security and safety. Those things we chase every single day. So the first point I want you to know this morning is that 
A home is the place where true belonging truly happens. It's not just talked about. It's not just visited. It truly happens. It's anywhere where we are able to most safely be ourselves. It is the place where some of you walk around in a robe and socks up to your calves. Please make sure that's actually your house when you do that. (laughs) Public service announcement number one. It's where we're comfortable. It's where we take our shoes off, right? That's where that metaphor comes from. It's where we lay low and we're relaxing and we're allowed to be who we actually are. It's why wives look at their husbands with a lot less joy in public than other people might think. It's because the wife knows the real story. She knows what he's like, how he smells. She knows those things. Who we are at home is who we ultimately are because we lay down our guard, we stop pretending, we stop faking it, and we are finally free. Yes? And some of us have fought even in our own home to make things that way. You stay at home in order to make sure that that security never changes. You work hard at the things that matter in life to bring that security to your life. We all have jobs. Some of us like them, some of us don't. But we all work. Why? Security. That sense of belonging that it stays there. Safety. And the reason we fight for that is because of this next point that all of us know together. We all know, every single one of us, whether you're a high school student, even younger than that, or well into retirement, what I'm about to share with you is true for every single one of us, and that is that we all know that we can be in our most safe seasons of life. We can be in our most safe seasons of life where everything seems to be okay. Marriage is fine. Job's been good. Kids are great. And then the phone rings. The job changes. The spouse leaves. The friend is no longer. The person comes to us. The email comes. Relationships are changing now. And the ground that we've been standing on all of a sudden shakes And it moves, showing it's not as stable as we always thought. The reason we work so hard to make sure we're secure is because we know someday something can happen that will take it away from us if we're not careful. We work super tirelessly to make certain. We control outcomes aggressively. Why? Because we're scared. Because we've seen what can happen. We have answered the phone when someone we love won't be with us anymore. And our mind drifts to ask the question, now what? We start to get nervous. You know some of these moments because you've had them. You've reached for the phone, and then moments later you've realized that life will never be the same now. I watched my dad go through this moment when my grandfather passed away years ago. My dad picks up the phone, seems like a normal conversation. I'm messing around. I'm pretty sure we had dial-up internet at the time, so obviously I wasn't online. And then all of a sudden, I watch my dad fall to his knees. And my dad's a strong guy. My dad is not someone who's just willy-nilly given to emotions, but he couldn't have been prepared for that. And all of us know those moments are somehow around us. And we're scared enough that we work tirelessly to make those things happen. I watched what my dad went through that day. It scared him and it scared me. And I know you know those feelings. 
You know those moments. It could be that job change, or it could be the reality that you're going to have to move to a community you've never lived before, and you've always wished you would never leave. It could also be the choice that a child of yours has made in life that you don't agree with, and now all of a sudden you're hurt or upset, wanting to control outcomes again. It could be a stranger whose choice they made has impacted and affected your life permanently now. Belonging, safety, security, these things we fight for to feel at home in this life, wherever we are. And when those things hit us, and they do hit us, there's a need, and gentlemen, I'm going to need you to lean in a little bit. There's a need for us to open up and say yes to receive help in our moment of need. Look, gentlemen, I know that you know where you're going. But when you do get lost, it is time to ask for directions. When you have no idea where you are and you can't figure out your cell phone, it is okay to go ahead and ask for help. I'm awful at this. I really don't like to ask for help, but neither does my wife, so it would seem that we get lost a lot. But we aren't normally prone to reach out for help. But what you're going to discover in life over and over and over again is that you can be surrounded by people who will help you, but you've got to go to them. You've got to let them know how you're really doing, and that means they get to know the real story behind the curtain, how you're really doing. Because some of us stubbornly try to hold it all together and just keep pretending like things are okay, when in fact we know things are absolutely not okay. And what happens is that people, all of us, Eventually, whether privately or publicly, we begin to look up. God, where are you? Even if we don't believe he's real or think he's real, we have that moment where we've exhausted all of our normal human resources. We've called lawyers, we've done this, we've done that. But we're still not sure what to do. And in those moments, can you reach out, because none of us are totally immune from the battles that life might bring to us. If you have a Bible this morning, I want to ask you to open it to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to be there. If you have a mobile device, please feel free to go ahead and open that. Those of you joining us in the point, paper Bible, or you can open the Connection Point app. And we're going to begin our time together in Matthew chapter 14. But before I bring that text up to the screen, I want to just set the stage for you a moment for what's going on in this text. Jesus of Nazareth has been spending time communicating what, what he wants people to know that is true about God. People had different ideas and behaved differently in those ideas, and Jesus wanted to clarify those things and do much more. And he had another guy that was a cousin of his who he was very close to and knew very well, knew since they were little kids. And this man's name was John, often referred to as John the Baptist. And what happens next in this text in, John, in Matthew 14 is Jesus gets some pretty rocking bad news. Jesus gets wind that John, someone that he loves and cares for deeply, has been killed. And what happens next is what I want you to know this morning about the home and the kind of home life that God offers us even if we're not looking for it and even if we don't want it. Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 13. As soon as Jesus heard the news 
he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. I just want to stop right there. This should tell you that he's not that different than you, at least not in this way. What do you do? What do I do when whatever news it is comes to us and it just kind of shocks our system? What do we do? I just need to be alone for a minute, right? We just need people and life and the world to just give us a little space so we can just be alone to think, yes? Isn't this us? Jesus was no different in this way. The first response he has to this crisis, this deeply troubling news is to go be alone. Most people who've studied the Bible a lot and know the history really well have come to understand that Jesus was probably going alone to be with the Father, to go pray. Because he knew in that moment there was only one reality he needed to sit in, and that was the presence of his heavenly Father. And there was nothing else here on earth tangibly that could bring about the kind of thing he would need in that moment. The next three words are important. So Jesus hears the news. He left in a boat to go be alone, but the crowds. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. The crowds didn't know the way that Jesus knew. And the crowds needed from him something that he could provide. And what happens next is significant to yours my understanding of what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to really walk after the things of God. The next verse. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he ran like crazy. It's not what it says. And he went home, closed his door, grabbed the remote control and avoided people for a few days. Also not what he did. What did he do? Had Compassion. That word compassion literally means his heart went out to them. His heart went out to them. Why? Because Jesus cares deeply. There were going to be a lot of people with a lot of needs. And what does Jesus choose to do in the moment? He doesn't run to care for himself, but instead he runs to them. He had compassion for them. Isn't that amazing? You know how much strength it takes to hear that kind of news? And not just be selfish in the moment and go take care of yourself. But instead, what does he do? He immediately cares for them. And what happens next is beautiful. He heals the sick. And that evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, That isn't necessary. You feed them. But we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Bring them here, he said. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven, and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers, About 5,000 men were fed that day, in addition to all the women and the children. In this moment, Jesus proves he has a connection with God, the Father, that none of them were able to muster before. 
Jesus proves in that moment that there is nothing he can't do. He not only dealt with healing the sick and caring for them that time. You see, his attention was taken captive by a burden, and that burden wasn't his. The burden was theirs. The burden is yours. The burden is mine. This is our God. This is what he does. He does care. And instead of looking to his own needs in that moment, instead he looks to the needs of the people that are in front of him, and he stays the whole day with them. The evening was there, and they were still in that place, and Jesus was still with those people. They were still lingering, still wanting time with him, and he kept giving, all the way to making sure they were fed with plenty of leftovers to provide. Jesus encountered their need, and he stayed to help them. There's a video I want to show you, and in this video, it tells a story of a couple who came to a moment where they just needed true home, true belonging, knowing that they would receive compassion because in that moment they needed it. They got to a place where they recognized that all of their power and all of their strength and all their human abilities were insufficient and making them feel like they were on solid ground, that life was okay. So in this video you're going to see a story of a couple of people who had not yet known each other well. Watch God rescue them through a tragedy to bring them home. Take a look. It was 2007, and I was working as a team manager for a race team here in Brownsburg, a drag racing team. And we had just finished with a race in Gainesville, Florida. And as I was traveling home, I received a phone call that one of our fellow race car drivers had been in a serious accident and had been airlifted to a hospital there in Florida. I kind of sprung into action and decided instead of waiting around to find out if he was gonna make it, that we should get everybody together and have a prayer service. Um, not really sure what that meant. Um, I did not grow up in a Christian home. The only thing I could think of was, hey, there's a big, huge church down the road, and I will go there and see how much they'll charge me to have this big event. Within the next couple of months, the team that I was managing lost its funding. People were let go, and I found myself out of a job. And it was going into the fall, and I was just really um, depressed and really in a dark place and wasn't really sure what I was going to do. And I had a friend at the time who was also going through a dark time and misery, just loves company. So um, we would, you know, complain to each other a lot. And, and I remember one day um, he called me and said, what, do, what if we go to church? And it was at one of those points where it was like, what, I have nothing else to do. I have nothing else. Sure, let's go to church. And he's like, well, you know, let me get online and see where I can find. And I thought, you know what? I was at this church in Brownsburg earlier this year when Eric passed away. 
And so we walked into service, and the neat thing about Connection Point is if you don't want to be seen or heard, you can kind of slip right in. Um, and that was the big thing for me, not growing up in, in church and not knowing, not being educated and, and knowing the Bible. It's really intimidating walking into a church. And so I liked that I could kind of, we can kind of just walk in and um, be really comfortable and just kind of be met where we're at in that way. It was just one of those moments where I thought, oh my gosh, I was meant to be here. Um, this is exactly what I needed to hear for where I am in my life and what I'm going through. She said, hey, I'm going to church. I'm like, I'd love to go. And I think I really surprised her, you know, whatever her experience had been in the past, you know, that was her, or whatever, it was just a, a surprise. I had gone to churches where maybe had a couple hundred people and this massive church with, you know, there's people everywhere. We kind of sat in the back, but it was really great. Pastor Steve had an awesome sermon and it brought us, brought us back. If I hadn't gone and worked on the race team that I worked on, I wouldn't have met Kelly, wouldn't have met my wife, wouldn't have ever gone to Connection Point, wouldn't have gotten baptized there, wouldn't have had my children uh, dedicated there. Um, and it's just crazy when I go back and think about it. It took me forever to get a job in racing because God wanted me to be in that specific place on that team so I could go and follow this plan he has for me. I think of everything that I've been through in the last 11 years and everything I've been through with my husband and our getting married and our having a family and the way that we've grown over the last 11 years. Without Eric's accident, none of that would have happened. I never would have stepped foot into Connection Point, let alone any church. This really profound tragedy in somebody else's life for this other family um, led me to the, the greatest love of mine and for my family. And so that is something. That is something that I'm forever grateful for because I don't know where my life would be without my faith, without Jesus, my God, without my church, without this community to raise my family in. And as much as I would love to share that with Eric, um, you know, God works in mysterious ways and we wouldn't be here today had it not been for his passing. Something happened to Kelly and Tyler. There was something going on in their lives that let them know they couldn't keep going on in the lives as they were going.
Every single one of us have these things set in at some point. They are barricades to our future. They're barricades to our progress. They're barricades. They could be past hurts. They could be people in our lives right now that we're unwilling to forgive. They could be the loss of someone we love or the turning of someone we love. It could even be our own struggles and some addiction or failure on our own part that the guilt is so overwhelming, we're unwilling to let change come our way. We just feel like we need to punish ourselves, live out our sentence, because that's what we deserve because of the harm that we've brought. I'm just letting you know, God's different than that. The story is different than that. There's more. Out here in the lobby this morning, there are a group of people who are ready to receive you at any point with anything you've endured. Our care team, of which I'm a part here at the church, is here simply to receive whatever it is you've been walking through. It could be the loss of someone. We have a class called Grief Share that is intended to walk you toward discovering how your grief and your new normal can still make life not only livable but enjoyable, that there's power available if you'll take it, if you'll receive it. The divorce reality can shape not only your life, but your kids and even extended family and relationships beyond. And we have a class, a group of people that meet strictly to encounter wherever you're at in a story that's around a divorce. Miscarriage and infertility is something that's not foreign to probably any of us. And we have a group of people that meet strictly to help walk through that tragedy and the challenges that it brings and to bring hope and healing on the other side of it. This church is committed to care. It's one of those core values that we don't even really look for, it just is. And it's because of what God has given us that we have that. Our tragedies, our pains, our losses become a window for comfort to finally come to us and God is our ultimate comfort as we come to him. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul wrote a brief encouragement to a church a long time ago, and Paul, who had got a chance to meet Jesus, really got a chance to learn what God's care is really all about, and he shared this with the church. He said, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others when they are troubled we will be able. We will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Welcome home means welcomed comfort, freely given. Welcome home means welcomed comfort to the challenges and the difficulties, the grief, the loss, the failure strategy on your own part, the addiction that you can't shake. God comes to you in this moment and says, I can move that. You might get out here in a few minutes and you might walk out to the parking lot and reach for the door handle. And you might start to stutter step a little bit and you might open the door. And you'll sit in the seat, put your key in the ignition, and grab the shifter. And it's going to be maybe in that moment where your mind is going to start to reflect back on those things. The grief, the hurt, the frustration, the loss, the confusion, or the damage. Your mind's going to go there. You're going to grab that handle, and you're going to want to put it into drive. And yet you know something inside of you is telling you, go back inside. 
Maybe you're sitting in the seat right now and it's already stirring for you that you know there's something you haven't fully let go of and you need to let go of because you haven't been feeling belonging, you haven't felt security, you haven't felt safe, and you have not felt like you're at home. And you need to fight for that chance to be free. Some of you, it's a confession that has been long overdue. For some of you, it's trusting and hoping when someone else won't change the way you know you wish they would. We all want to feel at home at all times. And don't you want to be the person that has the ups and downs like everyone else, but no matter what you are going through, you know you're okay? Don't you want that? Don't you want to be a person that whenever really difficult situations come at you or when amazing things happen, you're okay either way? You don't lose your mind in in the ecstasy of things going well, and you also don't fall apart in panic when things aren't going well. Look, when I was a kid, I'm glad my kids aren't in the audience this morning. I can kind of lay this out before you. When I was a kid, I used to never do my homework. Not just like never did my homework. It was, I think, a strategic goal of mine to get through school without touching homework. But the bus ride to school the next morning was incredibly anxious because I was trying to find any student in my class who would be willing, who obviously didn't the day before, but (laughs) maybe this day would give me the answers. Every morning I woke up with panic and anxiety trying to figure out a strategy to make my world okay so my parents wouldn't find out, my teachers wouldn't be upset. Do you know anybody like that? Who wakes up every morning and feels like it's a grind And this life doesn't really feel like home. This church body doesn't feel like home because they're always trying to work out a plan because they know this part of their life isn't fixed yet. God desires to give you care that will release you from that anxiety, from that confusion. God wants to help. This isn't just a new idea. This isn't even an idea just with Jesus walking around here on this earth. This is older than him being here. Even in the Psalms, the kinds of songs that Jesus sang when he walked here. Psalm 55 says this, give your burdens to the Lord, and what? He will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. What we feel when we are most at home in life is that a home is never a home based on how it looks, but instead on how the future looks because of it. A home is never a home based on how it looks, but instead a home is a home because of how the future looks in it. You see, when the future is safely in your hands, you don't have to worry about what's coming your way. When your future is secure and everything's okay, you don't have to panic when bad things happen because they will come to you, as will good things. And you're going to be able to look up and know, no matter what comes my way, I'm going to be okay. Why? Because I know who has me. I know who cares for me. I know what my future looks like. Do you want to know what your future can look like? See, I recently went back home to visit with my family down in southern Indiana. I lost my grandmother just a couple of weeks ago, and it was very difficult. It was challenging. But in that moment, I got to see my family who we're not all alike. We have different values. We celebrate different things. But our familiness was so strong. My parents raised us in the church. Man, did I hate that growing up. We never got to miss one single Sunday, ever. We never missed. And I tried. All the way down to a fake mustache once. I'm pretty sure I tried. I wanted to get out of the church stuff so badly. 
And I did rebel later. And I did walk away from God. I did choose other things. But God would not let me go. Turns out he was a lot stronger than I was. God brought me back to remind me of the future that I have with him, the future that all of us can have with him. So I want you to stop right now and I want you to think about the seat that you're sitting in. Yes, that's a weird statement. I want you to actually stop and think about your seat. Is it comfortable? You can say yes. This is a, this is a dialogical thing. You can say yes. Is, is your seat comfortable? Is it cushiony? Okay. It does not have your name on it. It does not belong to you, but it does belong to an idea. The seat that you're in belongs to an idea, and that idea has future wrapped all around it. So I want you to think only about your seat, and I want you to follow along as closely as you can. Are you ready? Because the person that is going to be sitting in your seat next week, the person that is going to be sitting in your seat next week will have had a full week now to fully consider everything God is teaching them about how to care for people like they've never cared before. Is that a good thing? The person who is sitting in your seat next week may be on the verge of saying yes to surrendering to the challenges they've been facing in their marriage and asking for help for the first time. Is that a good thing? The person that is sitting in your seat right now, are you still thinking about it? The person sitting in your seat next week may be your next door neighbor that you finally invited to come here about the God you've been finding out about every single week for so long now. The person sitting in your seat next week might be your spouse who is finally ready to ask for help in an area they've never even told you about. The person sitting in your seat next week could be your own child who is finally ready to hear about hope they've resisted their whole life. The person sitting in your seat next week could be you. Finally ready to surrender your life to Jesus and accept the love he's had for you since you were born and before. Maybe this week is when Jesus comes into your heart and begins to make space for all the care and compassion that you so desperately long for to feel at home here. Maybe this week is the week that God's future plans for you finally become your future plans for you. Plans for you to finally come home. Our Bible ends in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 21, this is the second to the last chapter, it says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying and no more pain. All these things are gone forever. Do you want that? No more tears, no more pain. Isn't that what all of us long for anyway? This is God's goal for us. This is how the story's supposed to go. And we all know that. Let hope happen. This is his goal. This is the future that he holds for every single one of us and any of us who will come to him no matter what. This can finally be your story. This can finally be your home. Make it so.